what is good my friends welcome back to another episode of the modern mastery podcast now a bit back i stopped doing guest episodes and that will continue to be the case except for very special individuals or when there is a discussion that a lot of people are having and we want to get to the truth of it or just the nuance of it so on this episode or this bonus episode Uh, There will be two uploads this week. I have Dalton from Analyze and Optimize. We had a first episode a while back. So if you are unfamiliar with some of the things that we are talking about or want to listen to other parts of this conversation that uh, where we talk about different points of diet and nutrition and health, then I would go and check that out. And this one, we talk about the misconceptions of sugar. Uh, We talk about seed oils. I know that is a big thing right now and whether seed oils are bad or not. uh, Everyone's disrespecting seed oils. So uh, a bit more nuance regarding that. And then energy metabolism. We talk about grains a bit and a bunch of other stuff with the hopes of making you healthier, happier, and higher performing in your personal development and business pursuits. So uh, with that, as always, I'll, I'll skip the whole promotion thing, but... Um, podcast listeners get their first month inside Modern Mastery HQ for $5. So business, health, performance, all of that good stuff in there. Uh, There is a new free tier of the Discord. So if you have any questions for the podcast or uh, have questions relating to this podcast, you can ask them in the Discord. There's other free stuff in there. Uh, But yeah, go check that out. Links in the description. And I hope you enjoy this episode with Dalton from Analyze and Optimize. All right. What's up? We're live. Dalton, we were talking before this. And for those that listened to the last one, if you haven't listened to the last one with Dalton, Analyze and Optimize, go and listen to it. But we have some spicy stuff to talk about here. I'm going to, I've been stocking up just questions as I've been diving into this whole side of health because it's new that's that's why i'm so curious about it is because it a lot of it most of it some of it goes like uh, against what a lot of people are saying right especially the sugar thing which will be what we talk about quite a bit yeah. but well, it's, uh, it's actually funny um i was i was talking to my parents about this morning because they, they watch my videos um and uh, so they, they took the uh, like the the option on YouTube to to view the dislikes. Like you, you can only see the likes now, but as a creator, like I can see the dislikes on the videos. So uh, the sugar video is by far the most disliked video um, in the history of analyze and optimize, and it's not really even close. Um, so the old mask video that was subsequently removed from YouTube for obvious reasons. Um, that one it was the most disliked, but it was still like, I think it was like 73% likes. Whereas the sugar video is now, I checked it this morning, it's like 65% likes and uh, 35% dislikes. So even on a channel where we're all about thinking for yourself and sort of going against conventional wisdom, you know, we could talk about uh, the, the pandemic <laughs> and our controversial thoughts with that. We could talk about uh, vegetable oils. We could talk about, you know, why keto might not be the best thing, but Sugar seems to be where people really draw the line. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel the same way. I feel like, uh, okay, so for the people that are open-minded to this stuff, I, I'll, I'm going to be paying attention to the Spotify ratings because 
like even just talking about sugar, we'll we'll hopefully dive into it. Like hopefully people don't just hear this like, oh, they're going to start promoting sugar or something and then go and do it. It's like listen to the nuances within this and <laughs> drink a Mexican Coke and do some other things to at least like open your mind to the possibility instead of writing it off as a whole. There are nuances to this, I believe. And so we'll dive into it. But um, that that's the first thing. So what's what's the main misconception with sugar or should we define the sugar that we're talking about okay yeah so i think there's right off the bat there's already a couple different branches we could segue off into but i think probably the biggest things um would be sugar itself so like you have glucose which is like the your lifeblood basically you know if you don't have any glucose you're gonna die no one argues that even the people that eat zero carbohydrates, they always talk about how their body produces their own glucose. You know, so we need we need glucose. Obviously, no, no one. I don't think anyone's arguing that. Some people argue that carbs in general are bad, but that's becoming a smaller and smaller fraction of the people. Um, so what table sugar is is it's glucose and another mo- molecule called fructose. And um, people, obviously, a lot of people have heard about high fructose corn syrup. So it's basically that, but we could talk about high fructose corn syrup too, because it's a little bit different than regular sugar. It might not yeah. be the same as uh, refined sugar, and of course things like fruit and honey, which obviously I'm a big fan of. I drink a lot of fruit juice. I drink, uh, um, sorry, I, <laughs> um, I drink a lot of fruit juice. I eat a decent amount of honey, and the Mexican Coke is kind of just like a meme. Like it's a little bit. I know. Um, <laughs> like it's it's a treat. Like I'll, I'll have that like every once in a while, but like I don't. I'm not here to promote like eating a bunch of refined sugar. I just don't, I just think that it's relatively benign and it can be useful in certain circumstances. And then naturally occurring sugars like those in fruit, fruit juice, honey, milk. um, I think that these are, you know, some of the best foods that we have, honestly. So right off the bat, there's conflating, you know, uh, so if you have like donuts or something like there, a lot of people would say like, oh, that's just like all sugar. But like in reality, there's a lot of starch, there's a lot of polyunsaturated fats, vegetable oils, there's a lot of uh, added fortified vitamins, um, and there can be other things like added gums, added dyes into these types of foods. And it really complicates the whole picture, whereas if you're just looking at sugar itself, it appears to be a much different story. And I was in the anti-sugar camp probably up until around a year-ish ago, Um, but then like the evidence just kept piling up. you know, I, I kept seeing new things and it, it ultimately just became undeniable that, you know, not only is sugar not causing a lot of the things that people think that it's causing, but it actually does have a lot of benefit in, in certain circumstances. So there's a lot of, we could, we could talk this whole time about the misconceptions of sugar, but, um, so I, I tweeted this the other day, but basically the, the big thing is that people say sugar causes insulin resistance. So if anyone that doesn't know, Insulin resistance is kind of the uh, the precursor to type 2 diabetes, so that's what's wrong with diabetics. They don't respond to the hormone insulin, which uh, primarily processes sugar and uh, carbohydrates. Um, and that claim <laughs> is kind of like saturated fat causes heart disease. Like, it's kind of just said a lot now, like, there was some kind of science done on it, and it was a little sketchy, and it wasn't super rigorous. Um, and then it just got into the mainstream and now everyone's saying it without even questioning it. But the thing is like when you say, okay, saturated fat doesn't cause heart disease. 
a lot of people don't have a problem with that. But when you say sugar doesn't cause insulin resistance, people still have a really big problem with that. And that's like where we're trying to come in and sort of shift the paradigm if possible. And um, just for reference, I'm going to be talking about a lot of things uh, that are talked about by, as we talked about last time, Dr. Ray Pete. He's a PhD in bio, uh, biology, I believe. And he, well, he's like 84, 85 now, but you know, he's, his whole life has been talking about like the benefits of sugar, honey, fruit. Um, and then I also want to give a quick shout out to a uh, YouTuber, Danny Roddy and, uh, his partner, Georgie Dinkov. I think, yeah, I think I, I think I showed you those guys. So yeah. they have a lot of awesome information on sugar. Uh, if anyone's listening to this, I will be pulling like a decent amount from them. Of course, I have like my own spin on it, like my own views, my own research, but uh, they're a great starting point. Those three, uh, I consider them like the holy trinity of yeah. sugar, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> yeah, they've been, I, I dove into them and I watched a few videos. I threw it in the the community, like the Modern Mastery community. I, lit, I was binge listening to a lot of their podcasts and... I just found myself getting way too overwhelmed, like, cause I was trying to consume it all at once. Like yeah. I, I wanted to listen to it all at once, but no, there's a lot of interesting stuff there. So the, I think the main question here as well is, is sugar necessary? Like, is it a necessary addition to one's diet? Um, okay. So no, it's not necessary. Absolutely not. Um, However, you know, I don't think that's really what the conversation is about. Like, it's not really about like what is necessary versus like what we're considering to be optimal, or what we're considering to, to cause disease. So like that, that's actually something that a lot of people say to me, it's like, oh, we don't need to eat sugar. That is true. You could also build a pretty substantial argument that you don't need to eat any fat. Um, so we're considered to have essential fatty acids, which are small amounts of these polyunsaturated fats. Um, but there are studies of feeding rodents, which is typically how you define uh, some of these metrics. Feeding rodents a zero-fat diet without any essential fatty acids, and if you up the uh, the nutrient content of the rest of their food, then they seem to do just fine. Now, in reality, like a zero-fat diet is pretty much impossible, <laughs> unless you're literally just going to eat like white rice and white sugar and juice all the time, which would be kind of like a uh, Walter Kempter's rice diet. Um, but like in reality, no one's going to actually do that. So. It is not necessary, no. Like I said before, your body is gonna, your got your body is gonna create glucose whether you like it or not. Um, <laughs> so you obviously don't have to eat carbohydrates and you don't have to eat sugar. Um, but you know we're analyzing optimize. <laughs> we're not analyzing right. sustain or <laughs> analyzing uh, get just get by on what you can you know what you just need. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Um, so that that's like what we're focused on at least. No, I like it because that's what I'm about too. It's like, you're, you're always, I feel like everyone is searching for that tiny improvement that they can make because it just adds up over time. So my question here relating to sugar, and I, I still, I have some questions where I want to like dive into the different sources and like applications and, uh, the why, but in terms of is a lot of this goal dependent. And I'm not only talking about sugar here, but like carbs over fats, because I haven't noticed too much of a difference when like, it's, it seems more so placebo to me, but there's a lot of people that promote a low carb, low sugar diet 
because they want mental clarity. They want focus. That's why a lot of people do intermittent fasting and they'll fast in the morning, have their coffee, which I stopped doing per last time you told me about the stress response. And I was up and working by the way. It's good. I like, I've noticed the, I have honey in my coffee. I always put honey in my coffee now and I'll have like either (laughs) eggs or just some beef in the morning. And yeah, I'm enjoying it. I'm much more, I'm like extremely high energy all day. Like it's at night, I have to go on a really long walk just to like tire myself out. But that that's one big difference that I've noticed. Awesome. And uh, so that's the thing. There's like the goal of mental clarity. But then for me, there's also the goal of like, I want to get big as fuck. I want to get strong. And I know that carbs help with that. Not necessary again, but they definitely do help. So are there considerations there? And what are your thoughts on that in general? Um, so yeah, it, it's absolutely goal dependent. I don't think anyone would argue that. Um, and I don't think eating sugar is for everyone. And this is one of the ways that I differ with the with the sort of Peterians, um, <laughs> the people from Ray Pete's school of thought, is because they they I think that they think um, that everyone should be eating sugar regardless. And I don't necessarily believe that to be the case. So for example, um, you know, if you're if you're type two diabetic and you're severely overweight. And you have fatty liver, you might start to be accumulating some liver damage, some liver damage. Um, and you're, it's really just, you know, it's dangerous for you to eat in general because, you know, your, your blood sugar stays so high and it can be destructive to your tissues at those concentrations. Um, and it's just a really bad milieu overall. So I think in that scenario, you know, a a low carbohydrate diet is absolutely the way to go. Now that's not to say that a lower fat diet, um, you know, if you were to like do the reciprocal and, you know, swap out the, the fat for carbs, if you were to do a very low fat diet, let's say like, cause people, when they do low carb, it's uh, like five to 10% of calories as carbs and even less than that. Some people do zero carb. So if you could do that with fat, I'm sure that it could work just as well. But in reality, like how realistic is that? It's much easier for people to eat steak and eggs and bacon and things that have zero carbs, but the foods that have zero fat is, I mean, that would be a pretty miserable diet to me. That would be like <laughs> <laughs> turkey breast, chicken breast, uh, shrimp without cooking it, um, and then like white sugar and white rice. I, I don't know. That doesn't sound <laughs> that doesn't sound great to me. So, I mean, <clears throat> I'm not saying that it couldn't work, but I'm just saying for most people, <clears throat> and it's probably, probably more realistic to just cut out the carbohydrates. And then once you become more metabolically healthy, um, you know, more insulin sensitive, then you can reincorporate the carbohydrates. But I do want to touch on one thing that you said, which was, you know, some people like to fast and do the low carb for the mental clarity. And I'm not saying that that's not a thing, but I don't think it's because of the lack of carbohydrates. I think in certain circumstances it could be, but I think people get this idea that like ketones and burning fat has this like sort of mental clear, like clearing effect. But I don't necessarily believe that to be the case. So I think when people experience gains in energy on low carb, it can be due to a lot of things. Um, Number one, a lot of times they're just cutting out a lot of vegetable oils, and a lot of crap to begin with. Uh, Number two, if you're eating a more meat based, animal based diet, then you're going to be cutting out a lot of like gut irritants. Uh, So if you're eating like things like nuts and seeds and beans a lot of these things can sort of irritate your digestive tract uh, and your gut, and it can create sort of the systemic inflammation response. Um, and if you're cutting out the carbohydrates, you're going to be cutting out a lot of that stuff. 
So I think that that's a potential benefit. And then the biggest that I see is really that you're just kind of running on adrenaline and on cortisol. You're really running on your stress hormones because mm-hmm. once your body senses that you don't have enough glucose around, you start to produce glucocorticoids. We said this in the video, but it's like, it's just funny to me when people say like, oh, like keto doesn't raise cortisol. And I'm like, well, first of all, it does. It has been shown to do that. But second, it's literally like the name of the hormones are called glucocorticoids, meaning that they produce glucose when you don't have enough to sustain. <laughs> so it's literally like the low, like cutting out the carbs is literally the most basic signal I can think of in order to start producing these stress hormones. So, and look, it's like, it's like, um, you know, when you get like a rush, a rush of adrenaline, you feel good. Like you feel, it's like if you're like on a roller coaster, like you just like, I don't know, you start, uh, you like hit a, a good shot in a basketball game or some, something that boosts your adrenaline. Yeah, you feel good. You feel hyped up. You know, you probably feel mentally clear. Like you feel good. And I think that that's a lot of what these people are feeling. And I think that part of the reason is that a lot of people do have deranged carbohydrate metabolism, even if it's not outwardly diabetic or whatever the case may be. That's why things like methylene blue can have such a profound impact because you can incorporate that and it allows you to more efficiently oxidize the carbohydrates and you can keep in the carbs and still sustain mental clarity because you're more efficiently doing that. And it's really the energy production aspect of things that I think is leading to the mental clarity. Does that all make sense? <laughs> I know that was a lot. Yes. Yes. Well, can you can you explain to me what methylene blue is real quick? <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. Yeah. So me- or, or just I, like, like proposed meth- benefits. I love methylene blue. So essentially, what <laughs> methylene blue does is it's a couple different things. But on a very basic level, it acts on different pathways in your body in order to raise your metabolism. So a common effect that people will see when they take it is that they start like getting hotter, and that's because your body is producing more energy and your thyroid's more, working more efficiently and you're, you know, you're uncoupling your mitochondria, so to speak more, which is kind of like you're producing more heat, uh, as, as energy instead of like useful energy. So that's a good thing. Um, <clears throat> but methylene blue has some really in- interesting research b- behind it. There's one study that gave people only 15 milligrams of methylene blue per day, which is really not that much. And you only start to see side effects with it when you intravenously, give it to people at like over 10 times that dose. So this study gave people either placebo or methylene blue. And the only bad part about the study is that they couldn't blind it, which is like they couldn't, um, you can't like fake give someone methylene blue and fake give someone like a, like a fake of that because the methylene blue, uh, if you're saturating your tissues with it, it makes your urine blue. (laughs) So they couldn't like fake these people out. Um, that was the only thing about it but it showed to have like a profound antidepressant effect. And one of the key hallmarks of depression is lowering of the stress is, uh, sorry, one of the key hallmarks of depression is raising the stress hormones and having an impaired energy metabolism in the brain. And that's what methylene blue is able to do. It's able to raise uh, energy expenditure, energy metabolism in the brain. And it's also able to lower these stress hormones a bit. So I think it's a very powerful substance. It's not something that you wanna rely on necessarily, but, you know, if you take it and you're eating carbs and, you know, you start to see the benefits, you start to feel more clear, then that can give you sort of a clue that, you know, okay, maybe at baseline my carbohydrate metabolism isn't as good and this is a good tool mm-hmm. that I can, that I can use, uh, you know, to fix, to help fix that. 
Okay. What would you classify it as like a nootropic or is it just a substance? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, um, I think a lot of people would, it's just that it has like, so it's considered a nootropic because the effects on energy metabolism are systemic, but it's just that the brain consumes by far the most energy of any organ. Mm. So you feel the effects in the brain more, but I can tell you like it has that same effect like in the gym. You know, I play basketball on the basketball court. I, I definitely see it. Um, hmm. Some people report in bed, they see it. Um, <laughs> and then uh, some people report better sleep, better dreams with it. So I think it's a really versatile thing. Very little side effects, uh, if any, at the doses that we're talking about, which is like under 15 milligrams. Um, and yeah, I think it's I think it's just an incredibly powerful tool that a lot of people should try, you know, if they, uh, if they suspect that there's an issue. Um, also has antimicrobial properties, but that's kind of not the primary function, although it does, it does have those cause they use it to clean fish tanks and stuff like that. So, oh shit. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So in terms of sugar and just, as you said, with methylene blue and other things and kind of what seems to be the repeat diet as a whole is to increase, increase energy metabolism and uh, like help with that and kind of raise your temperature, which I have questions about. Um, but what's the main purpose of that as a whole? Like how this could be a long answer. I'm just looking to piece things together here because I keep hearing thyroid thrown around, energy metabolism, stress, mm -hmm. and like how those play, even like CO2 in the body, things like that. Can you give me like an overview? Yes. Yeah. Like yeah. So I think, so I think, I think a, a great place to start would be, so, um, I believe it's the second law of thermodynamics is the law of entropy. Are you familiar with entropy at all? Yes, but I forgot. Let's explain it. Another <laughs> way. So entropy essentially is the idea that the universe always tends towards more disorder. So like the universe is constantly expanding and that's a way to sort of sustain entropy, like gaining, constantly gaining entropy. And anytime that there's some sort of process that happens, um, the universe always tends towards more entropy, more disorder. Um, <clears throat> however, there's one caveat to that law, which is that you can man maintain order in a system if you add energy to it. So the classic example of this would be like, say, um, whatever, I'm in my apartment now, uh, and, um, my apartment is going to tend towards more disorder. Like if I don't apply energy to constantly clean it up and like wipe down the counters and put everything away, it's going to naturally tend towards disorder. But if I apply that energy, I can keep things relatively tidy. Um, so that's kind of like a big picture thing. That's honest. That's one of the things. And Chris Masterjohn did a great job of explaining this in one of his videos. Uh, you guys should go check him out um, if you haven't already, but he's he's great with this. So he basically opens up his series of energy metabolism and he says, why do we have to eat such an enormous amount of food? And it's a great question because the average person eats like three to five pounds of food per day. And our food is highly bioavailable and, and calorically dense. So it's like, why do we have to consume so much energy to, to sustain this life? And um, it's really because of that, because the more ordered a system is the more energy needs to go into it in order to maintain that order so if we can think of diseases as a disorder of energy metabolism 
this lack of putting energy into the system and maintaining that order, then when that uh, system becomes deranged by uh, whatever external factors and stress, uh, then things start to go downhill. You start to become more disordered. You start to develop these diseases. Your cell structure uh, begin, begins to become less tight, so to speak. And um, there's a lot of interesting stuff that they talk about within the cell, but I'm just talking about big picture. I think it's pretty easy for anyone to see that if you apply more energy to a system, it's going to be able to maintain its order more effectively. Uh, but if you are just to leave it, then it's just going to tend toward disorder because that's how the universe works. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. And I, I like this connection as well because I, I forget exactly what it was, but when I was watching one of the Danny Roddy videos and he brought this up about like sugar and uh, energy metabolism's role in stress, I forget where the click happened here, but it, it brought back like a spiritual or like philosophical uh, saying for me from Anthony DeMello, where he was like, remove the obstruction from your mind and you have wisdom, remove the obstruction from your heart and you have love. So it's the, it's the whole, it's like the law of polarity where there's like fear, there's courage, there's love, there's hate, and they're, they're both one and the same. And once you remove whatever resistance is there from the negative pole, then you have the positive pole. So that may or may not make sense, but no, and I can't I think, really. Yeah, I think I think it I think it totally ties into this stuff. And one of the one of the main things that a lot of people will realize when they start to fix their energy metabolism is that they feel, you know, more love, more compassion, things like that. A lot of people become more spiritual and stuff. Um, but the whole idea is that essentially, if you're, I mean, if you think about it, like in nature, an organism that doesn't have a lot of energy, its body is basically signaling to it that the environment is not in an optimal state. So you're not. Uh, able to produce as much energy, you're not able to sustain life. Um, but then when things are good, like, and you're able to, to mount that energetic response, you're going to have excess energy in order to, to devote to things like deep critical thinking and to love and to different interests. Whereas if you're very low energy metabolism, let me ask you something. Have you ever met someone who's depressed and anhedonic and, you know, has no like zest for life, basically, like it's hard for them to get out of bed? Have, have they ever said, oh, but I have a ton of energy? <laughs> right. No. Literally never, right? It's always, they're always very tired. And I think that's a that's something that is very like uh, inherent to us as like biological beings. That if we sense that there's not, that the environment is not good, <laughs> essentially, is not uh, providing the, the necessary resources for us, and, or it's a stressful environment, um, then, you know, we're going to shut down and try to conserve. Mm -hmm. And that, that, that means that you're not going to have energy to, you know, do anything that's bes besides your vital functions. And that includes, and that, that does not include, I should say, reproducing. So like a lot of people lose their, their sex drive when they become, uh, depressed and low energy. And I think that that's like a, like a key connection as well. So I think, I think what you're saying makes total sense. And that's something that they, that they, typically talk about is that when you have an excess of energy, when your energy metabolism is working properly, you're able to go and you, you want to do more things like you, and that's where dopamine comes in a lot too, because dopamine is really like a sign of things going well, of energy production, uh, being at a, at an optimal point. 
And that's where you start to want to do more things. You start to want to be creative. You want to write. You want to listen to people. You want to be around people. But if not, then you're just kind of shut down to yourself. Yeah. I'm trying to find where I wrote this thing down because I wrote about it a bit, but can't find it. So either way, we have this. So sugar, how does how does sugar play a role in this? And the like this energy metabolism, because I if you want to tie in the whole like body warming thing to this as well, because that's something I've noticed, like eating more sugar. But like, is that even a thing when you're not eating a lot of sugar? Um, so this kind of relates back to the, the thing that I was talking about with entropy. So in order for the universe to maintain a constant, like increasing entropy, you, if you consider your body as a system, you, in order to compensate for the more order that your body has, you need to give off an equal amount or more disorder to your surroundings so that the universe as a whole continues towards entropy. So that's really where the body heat comes from because heat is really, um, this is bringing me back to, <laughs> to engineering classes, but heat is really just like the, the moving around and like the, the fast motion of these like atoms that are obviously impossible to see, but that's really like what it is. So if you're at like whatever, if you're at like zero temperature, nothing is moving, it's all like completely fixed and that's considered like really ordered. But if something's a higher temperature, things are like buzzing around more in the air and that's like what gas is and that's what um, like when you give off the heat, that's really what you're doing is like you're creating more disorder in your surroundings um, because you are creating order within yourself and that's your body's sort of, I guess, evolutionary way of living with the universe but still being a high a highly ordered system right okay that makes sense and but before i dive into some other stuff how much sugar should people try eating because i i also you had a tweet about uh like a thought or a theory where like calorie restriction works because it's poofa restriction and other things like that so i want to talk about calories a bit later but the for sugar like if people want to start incorporating it i'm assuming they just shouldn't go all out and like go crazy <laughs> so in terms of what they're doing now what what how do they make this transition gotcha um so i think i think you asked before and i completely it just lost my mind because i got uh it wrapped in this whole entropy thing but you you asked how uh, sugar relates to like energy production and why basically how is it why is it superior to fat as a fuel yes so okay so um and this is this is like pretty controversial because the thing now is like oh like you gotta you gotta burn fat and that's that's like i think that's the funniest thing um about the whole sugar causes insulin resistance thing because by that same logic then like eating fat should cause like fat resistance like you shouldn't be able to burn the fat if you're eating it if that's like the theory but like everyone says like oh you got to eat fat to burn fat which is true the more fat you eat the more fat you burn it's a no-brainer um but essentially it seems to me like uh the more fat oxidation there is it's kind of like this basic signal that of stress that the environment is not uh prime so 
Carbohydrates mm. essentially are able to signal to your body that the environment is energy rich and it's a signal to your body that you have enough energy on hand. So it does things like <clears throat> um, increases thyroid hormone. It's able, they're more anabolic um, in terms of putting on uh, lean mass. Um, and then they're able to lower, like coincidentally, or whatever the word is, but they're uh, also able to lower these stress hormones because of that, because they're producing more energy and they're the signal that your body has enough energy at the time. So the stress levels come down. Pretty much in any disease state that you look in, the people are not burning a lot of glucose. And if they are, they're incompletely burning it, which is something called the Warburg effect. So basically, um, this is a, a little technical, but I'll try to make it as simple as possible. So basically, if you're properly oxidizing glucose, you will get, I think it's like 32 or 36 uh, ATP molecules from that one glucose. But if you're doing this Warburg effect, you only get, I think it's like two or three. So in disease states, you will have like people say like, oh, like cancer, like loves sugar. But in actuality, like if the cancer was burning the sugar properly, it wouldn't be cancer. It would be a normal cell. The, that's what the key to cancer is that it creates this Warburg effect. And then the cell eventually starts to like dismantle its more complex machinery, or at least this is how Otto Warburg thought about it back in the thirties. But mm. essentially cancer patients in general have higher levels of free fatty acids in their blood. They have, they're burning more fat and they are burning sugar, but they're not burning it completely. There, I don't think that there's a single disease state where you could see people properly oxidizing glucose. Um, <laughs> but I think every disease state, people are oxidizing more fat than they are glucose. It's like pretty, it's pretty not even controversial. So one thing that I've said before is that uh, keto and fasting is pretty much like a partial mimic of diabetic physiology and a partial mimic of starvation physiology. So it's kind of like it has aspects of both. But basically in diabetes, you're insulin resistant. Um, you do have high levels of blood glucose. You have high levels of free fatty acids and those free fatty acids block the ability of your cells to use the glucose. And that's exactly what happens in keto. You, you're burning more fat and then over time, and you can actually see this in long-term low-carb people, low-carb people, uh, their glucose is gonna begin to creep up a little bit. It's not, it, it won't become like necessarily pathologically, like you're not gonna become like a diabetic from it, I don't think. But it can creep up, like you're supposed to keep it under 100. Like most people think it should be like under 95 or 90. And I've seen, I remember Sean Baker, I'm sure you know who that is, <laughs> like, um, zero carb carnivore guy. And then he got his blood sugar tested a couple years ago and it was like fasting. It was like a 126. And then he had to change a couple things with his diet, I think. <clears throat> and he got it back down. But the point is that you will see that creeping up because the more fat that you're burning, the more that your cells are going to reject the glucose because your body is basically perceiving that as like, we need to hold on to this. We're going to resist the glucose and try to spare it for the tissues that really need it. And the rest of your body starts burning more fat uh, reciprocally, if that makes sense. So yeah. that's, that's basically what I would say is that <laughs> fat, burning more fat and having more fat in your blood is basically universally recognized as a stress and disease state. So, mm. and people that are fans of low carb will say, okay, but like keto is like not a stress or disease state. And I'm like, okay, but that's not like the point. <laughs> like, 
The point is that in diseased states, you're doing that. And in a healthy state, you're fully oxidizing glucose. So why would you voluntarily cut out the carbohydrates unless you, it has some specific therapeutic value like we had discussed before? It doesn't mm. really make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, that's fucking interesting. <laughs> I, I, I'm loving this <laughs> there's already. A lot, there's it, a lot to get into, but... Yeah, yeah. And okay, so it, it, the thought came back to me, like what I mentioned earlier. So it's re remove the obstruction from your mind and you have wisdom. Remove the obstruction from your heart and you have uh, love. But then this whole like Danny Roddy research made me think like remove the obstruction from your environment, internal and external, aka like the things inducing stress and you have health maybe it might yeah, be an over no i mean i i really i think that's a great way of looking at it like remove whatever blockade there is in your ability to properly oxidize glucose and you're probably going to be able to you're probably going to see better health health outcomes and by the way that's exactly what methylene blue does so there's if you if you start with glucose and then you take it all the way down to carbon dioxide water and atp there's like 30 something steps, like individual reactions to get there. And at any single one of those, something can go wrong. But the thing that methylene blue does is that it's able to step in at a couple of those points and sort of sub in and like keep the machine going, so to speak. Mm -hmm. um, but to your point, that's exactly what it is. Like if you have sort of a blockade or a problem with one of these enzymes or you're not getting the sugar into the cell properly, you don't have enough carbon dioxide, you don't have enough ox oxygen, whatever then you're going to start to feel the deleterious effects. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I think, I think it's a great way of looking at it. Nice. But yeah, I want to talk about, so the, the different sources, like, like foods that we eat on a daily basis that could be doing good or bad things. And I, I want to talk about this very quick, because we're talking about sugar. We understand fruit, naturally occurring sugar, good, uh, Cane sugar, possibly cane sugar, good. Um, I think that, I think the real problem. I think okay, I think the real problem with cane sugar is just that it doesn't have these nutrients. So, I think that's another sort of like misconception. So, like if you're eating a lot of white sugar and it's displacing other foods that are giving you a lot of nutrients, like meat and like organs and like eggs and liver, uh, oysters, things like that. If it's displacing that, then yeah, I would expect it to have some bad things go on with it. But that's the thing, like it's never really, when people think of like a high sugar diet, they don't think of someone that eats a lot of steak, liver, eggs, shellfish, right. and then has orange juice and milk <laughs> with some white sugar or some ice cream. Like they think of someone who is just guzzling soda all day, which has zero nutritional value. So. I think that really like the problem with white sugar is just that it doesn't have any of these nutrients. And then there's some speculation about stuff that goes on in the gut, but I, I don't really trust that stuff, honestly. Mm. Okay. So that may lead into my next thing because, uh, like, you know, that I like keep up with Lane Norton and Alan Aragon and some of them. And the, the weirdest thing to me is like, I, I, it's been solidified in my head that just like grains are bad for the gut, for whatever. So in terms of, because he, Lane Norton, whenever he gives like blanket diet advice of like eat this, 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 and this, he always mentions whole grains. And so there, what is there a problem in your eyes with whole grains? 
Um, I don't think there's necessarily a problem with them. I just don't. I think that I just don't think that they're superior, and in a lot of ta- a lot of cases, they taste worse. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, it gets back to the whole like fiber thing and like anti nutrients and whatever. And I'm not I'm not gonna sit here and say that like whatever like like Paul Saladino does that like whatever like yeah. what is it he says like eating spinach is gonna like give you kidney stones or something like. I think he said like most most kidney stones could be prevented if people just ate less spinach, and I was like, yeah. that's kind of a out there remark. But <laughs> anyway, um, in terms of whole grains, I mean, look, honestly, the the way that I think of things is that you would probably just want you would honestly probably ref- prefer the things that are more easily digestible, as opposed to the fiber, mm-hmm. um, because that ends up, like it feeds your bacteria, and obviously you need like some bacteria. But I don't think that most people out that live in the modern world are living with the with a deficiency of bacteria. <laughs> I think if anything, a lot of people are having like bacterial overgrowth problems, fungal overgrowth problems. Um, so yeah, and I think I think the thing that's actually interesting that you say that that Lane said that I wouldn't expect that from him because I, from what I know, he's very like if all calories are equated, then nothing matters type guy. Yeah, well, he he does the thing where it's like he he says that. But then he said, but the majority of your diet should be high protein, whole grains, et cetera. And like, I don't know what he says because my mind always goes straight to the whole grains. And I'm like, yeah, I've heard that that shit is evil. (laughs) (laughs) So I think he, he's really big on, um, this, this can sort of segue us into calories if you, if you, if we want to talk about that. But, um, yeah, I think he and many others are, uh, they subscribe to this model of calories and basically the idea that, oh, all of our health problems are just because we eat too much food. And to me, that's like the biggest cop-out answer like ever. That's like, you're, you're a, you're a money guy. That would be like, if I asked you like how to get rich and then you were like, dude, you just got to make more money than you spend. Like, it's pretty simple. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right, right. I mean, it's pretty much, that's pretty much how I think about it at least. And I mean, I don't know. I think I think this idea that like if calories are equated, like nothing's bad. First of all, isn't necessarily true because most of the time, like I know Lane says things like ninety percent of the value of any diet is in its ability to like make you lose weight. And like, dude, I just think that that's a, a ridiculous claim, honestly. And he might be citing one study that looks at five or ten biomarkers, but how many? As we talked about last time, how many different things could we say, or like you could say are contribute to health like like what metrics would you use to define that dude i could if i if you really gave me time to think about it i could probably list a thousand things that i I could (laughs) say like here okay if you check these a thousand boxes like these these are the metrics for health and i don't think like no study is ever gonna do that so things have different effects on the gut they have different effects on, on metabolism they they foods have different effects and this shouldn't be something like new ground that i'm breaking but somehow today that it is um but I think the whole calories thing is a little misguided because technically that is true, but it's just so like useless because I think, um, I think, okay. So we talked about this in the sugar video that people were eating in the thirties, they were eating anywhere from three to 4,000 calories per day. A lot of it being white sugar, um, but they didn't have the, the seed oils nearly as much and 
all this chronic disease like was pretty much non-existent and there are hunter-gatherer tribes that eat 3,000 plus calories a day and they are free of chronic disease as well so I don't think I think that if you're eating the right food you're gonna eat the correct amount and you know I don't think that this idea that like you need to eat the most satiating foods possible you need to just like aim for the highest I think this is like what they talk about uh, satiety per calorie um, and that's basically, that's why they like fiber because fiber like fills up your stomach and like makes you want to stop eating, but it doesn't provide you with any, anything special. I think that's the main reason why Lane recommends mm. it is because it's very satiating. And then he says sugar is bad because it's not sa satiating. Um, and I would have like the opposite opinion of that I'd say fiber like fills up your stomach, but it doesn't give you any, anything of value really. If anything, it I think it has substantial uh, drawbacks a lot of the time. And then sugar is like, okay, if something's stimulating your appetite and a lot of people <laughs> say that that's bad, but in, again, in a lot of these disease states, people lose their appetites. So for someone who's really sick and they start eating more sugar and then they, they're like, okay, like I want to eat more. Like that is like one of the best things I could think of for a lot of people. And I know, there's not as much focus on those people. It's all about like, we need to be lean. We need to do this. Right. But I still think that the calorie paradigm is faulty because if you're aiming for satiety per calorie, then who's to say that you're not going to get your nutrients? Who's to say that you're not going to be eating foods that are irritating your gut? All these different things that go into the quality of the calories. And at the end of the day, like <laughs> you should be able to eat as much as you want and your body should just be able to auto-regulate. And I think uh, this is this body set point. I don't know if you've like sort of heard yeah. about this, but people talk about the body set point. Basically, like if you're eating a normal diet, ad lib, which is as, as much as you want, where is your body going to settle out at? And I think that's really the key to this whole equation because if we're going to talk about obesity, why is some people's body set point higher? Because I, I know a lot of people that are overweight, obese even, and they're doing their best to restrict calories and not, nothing's happening. I mean, and that's, that's not something that's super infrequent. So I don't know. And you also obviously need the calories for energy. It's not like it just automatically goes to fat. You can use it for energy, but you need to fix your metabolism, remove, what did you say? The blockade or whatever yeah, from your metabolism and then you'll be able to be healthier. And in a lot of cases it is the polyunsaturated fats. So mm. that's, I, we actually wanted to add this to our sugar video is that, um, everything that sugar gets blamed for vegetable oils actually do <laughs> right yeah i want to hear about that more like uh you you mentioned either it was in a tweet or just a dm to me about how like a, a lot of like it's linked and sugar is blamed for it is that the main thing yeah absolutely and again like i'm not saying that everyone should go out there and eat a bunch of refined sugar necessarily but um, in terms of just sugar itself, just glucose and fructose causing all these problems. So one of the things that people will say, sugar causes insulin resistance. Okay, but it, if you look in the animal models, which are like the most tightly controlled, that's like, okay, it's not a human necessarily. But mm -hmm. in a lot of times in science, that's the best that we have. And it's how we draw parallels. And a lot of times it is it goes over very well, like it translates very well, more than a lot of people will give it credit for. 
but the standard diet for rodents to stay lean and to stay fertile so that you can breed them and that they don't die, they don't get any disease, your control mice, the mice that are supposed to be normal, eat a 30% refined sugar diet that is low in fat. And that, they, that diet is so well known, it's literally sold as this is the diet that will keep your mice lean and healthy and able to breed. And it's a 30% refined sugar, low fat diet. And then the standard for if you wanna create a diabetic animal model, you give them a high fat diet, which is really a high polyunsaturated fat diet, because if you give them a high fat diet and then take out the poofas, <laughs> then the mice are still lean. <laughs> so it's literally like, I don't know like how to make it any simpler other than that, in the studies where they look <laughs> at animals, if you're trying to create a lean, healthy animal, you feed it a high sugar, low fat diet. If you are trying to create a diseased animal, you feed it a high polyunsaturated fat diet. And that's not disputed by anyone in the field that works in animal models. Right. It's like, it, I just, I don't know how to make it like any more obvious than that, honestly. Oh, and by the way, these mice are not aiming for satiety per calorie. <laughs> they eat 15% of their calories is protein, which is way less than I would suggest. But they're eating more sugar than protein and they are lean and healthy and so fertile that they literally make colonies, <laughs> hundreds of mice out of these mice. So it's, it's hard to really say, like, I, I don't, I don't, I don't really know how to <laughs> else to describe it. it honestly, it's, it's like frustrating for me because people are like, oh, there's no like evidence that, that seed oils are bad. Like, but if you look at like the human interventional data, it's like not actually like a thing. If you control for calories, it's like, Dude, like you are missing the point. A lot of the problems with those studies is that I, I might I might have brought this up before, but it's like the cigarette analogy, and that's a whole different topic. If cigarettes are actually bad for you, but <laughs> I was going to bring but that up. Let's, towards let's, that. let's say <laughs> so. Um, let's uh, let's do something that's non-controversially toxic: arsenic. Let's say that um, if this is just totally arbitrary numbers, but. Um, Evolutionarily, we were consuming, let's say, a gram of arsenic per day. Again, these are just totally arbitrary numbers. I'm just trying to illustrate a point. Let's say throughout our evolution, we were consuming about a gram of arsenic per day, and we never had any problems. We were totally fine. And then the Industrial Revolution hits, and people start eating all, these, all this crap. The environment gets poisoned. And now people are eating eight grams of arsenic per day. But the cutoff, and they do the animal models, they show that the cutoff for where it becomes toxic is around three to four grams of arsenic. Let's say, let's say that that's the cutoff. That's like the absolute most that anyone would have gotten historically before our environment got poisoned. Let's say that three or four grams is like the cutoff. Mm -hmm. Well, if you take a population that is already eating eight grams of arsenic and you give half of them 10 grams and you give half of them six grams, you're not going to see a difference. Obviously, it's, it's, there's a threshold. And that's the problem with a lot of these studies. The only studies that actually restrict linoleic acid, which is the polyunsaturated fat that's most ubiquitous in vegetable oils, the only studies that actually reduce it down to what we would consider like a healthy level, so under 3% of your calories, those are the studies that show the outcomes. But if you just give people an extra tablespoon of canola oil per day and you don't see anything, 
that's not saying that's like saying okay i gave you three extra cigarettes on top of the pack that you're already smoking a day yeah right. you're gonna get lung cancer either way i agree <laughs> like yeah but that i think that's the main problem and that's very well recognized by the people who study this stuff they say the data that we have is is hard to parse out because they're either above this threshold that we would have been eating evolutionarily, like historically, um, or they're like barely on the border. And the ones that are barely on the border, we're starting to see results, but we just can't get enough people together for too long and feed them this diet because it's whole foods and it's expensive or whatever. It's, it's just, it's difficult to do today, but that's really like the crux of the argument there. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And I'll leave it at that because I feel like I'll overcomplicate it. But the <laughs> so for I, I want to step back a tiny bit because this came to mind, right? I, I like the whole um, body fat set point thing and eating what you want as long as like I, I feel like seed oils and other things could throw that intuition off in a sense and like high stress could throw that off. So I feel like there's variables there. But when it comes to someone like me, right, I have the goal to have a slow and sustainable uh, lean bulk. Like I, I kind of want to just have a controlled bulk for two years and gain a solid amount of muscle and strength. In that case, would the calorie counting be useful? Um, I would actually say in the opposite case, that's when it's useful because if you're going to do like this sort of slow bulk, the best thing that you could ask for is to eat as much as you want without counting right. calories. And then knowing that, you know, your body set weight is going to be there and it's going to keep it within range. Now, the body set weight doesn't keep you with ripped six pack abs. That's not what the body set right. weight is for. It's just to keep you at a sustainable level, you know, for a male, probably like 10 to maybe 15% body fat in that range, which is still like you're still going to look good. It's very healthy, but I think that's what the, the body set point is really for. And there was actually one study that I might make an entire video on just this one study because it's so illustrative of the point. And um, so basically the study took, uh, it was an overfeeding study. So they basically shoved calories down these people's throats even though they didn't want it. We're going to overfeed them. So the people that got over, they and they, there's two different groups. So one group got overfed on carbohydrates they were eating like an extra two or three hundred grams of carbs a day and then um another group got an extra i think it was like 700 calories worth of corn oil uh fat calories per day and you could probably guess where this goes but <laughs> <laughs> um so essentially the yes they were eating past satiety they were eating past what their body normally wanted like they were forced eating this. So of course they did gain weight. This is not something that would happen in the real world. Um, so the people that over that were overfed on the carbohydrates, what they saw is that their thyroid levels went up accordingly. So their body was producing more energy expenditure. And then when they were taken off the diet, they came back to their, to their normal weight very easily with, with no problems whatsoever. However, the people that were overfed on the, on the corn oil, they did not see the increase in thyroid hormone levels. I think that there was a slight drop in the thyroid hormone levels with the people that were overfed on the on the vegetable oil. And uh, going along with that, uh, they when they when they um, stopped the overfeeding, it took them like more calorie restriction 
and more effort to get back to their normal weight and their their body set weight like didn't really recover and i think that that's a key thing here is that these polyunsaturated fats are able to inhibit uh, various processes around thyroid hormone metabolism and they're able to lower your energy expenditure so actually in animal models if you want to induce hibernation in an animal you give them a lot of polyunsaturated fats because historically like the the sign for hibernation for an animal if you're eating a bunch of sugar and saturated fat that probably means that things are going well you know the weather's good you're eating fruit you're eating honey maybe you, you got a kill and you're eating like animal with animal fat mm. so your energy expenditure is, is up but if you're eating things that in nature are more concentrated in polyunsaturated fats nuts seeds these are like you know things are not going well winter's probably coming it's that's the biological mm. trigger in order to induce this hibernation torpor response. And that's the standard. Also, serotonin is involved in that. But <laughs> this, is the, uh, this, is the, this is the primary biological response in order to induce this hibernation. Um, and it, it does so by reducing your energy expenditure. So that study, that study was great. I think, I think I might try to do an entire video just on that because it really it hits everything that you know, we talk about. It, like the carbs raised the thyroid hormone. They had to overfeed these people forcefully in order for them to gain weight. Then the people that ate the vegetable oil, their metabolisms were deranged. They gained more weight and they had a hard time getting it off, even with the calorie restriction. So it really just goes to show the whole point. And now I don't think a study like this can even be done because this was done, I believe, in like the 50s or the 60s. And this is when vegetable oil intake was still like, it was, it was going up, but it was like still at like a manageable level. Like people were still relatively thin, like eating like less, uh, less vegetable oil. So in that scenario, when you give people the corn oil, like it actually probably is pushing them over that threshold. Whereas now everybody's eating above that. So the studies that are conducted now are probably not looking at a group that's 8% of your calories from linoleic acid versus a one that's 2%. But back then it was way more realistic for that to happen. Interesting. This is giving me a lot to think about. It's it's like the this past year, I would say on Twitter in general, with a lot of these people just like um, talking about different takes on health. Because as I told you in the last podcast, it's like I was following what other people did re religiously, like in terms of flexible dieting and um, all of that stuff. And so counting calories has been a part of my life for like five years. I feel so weird going without it and like out of control. So maybe that that's probably what I have to do. I have to at least test it. So dude, I'm insane. I mean, growing up, like I was, I was watching, uh, I was watching Chris Jones and, uh, Brandon Carter, yes. like the hot, the hot <laughs> twins, like and these guys yeah. were all about counting calories and stuff. And that's like, that's what I did from like when I was in high school, like a very young age. Um, but then, you know, fortunately one of the best things that ever happened to me was actually gaining a bunch of weight in college. Cause then I had to like really learn and I was like, dude, like, I'm not counting calories for like the rest of my life. Like I need to figure out a way to, hmm. to do without that. And at first it was keto and it, it did work. I lost the weight and you know, I was eating intuitively like without counting calories for that. But now it's a higher sugar, lower fat, still high protein diet. And you know, I don't have to count a thing. And the cool thing is that, you know, if I want to, so right now I'm probably at like 185 and I'm like, whatever, I, I guess you could say like I'm bulking, I'm getting strength in the gym. Um, and I'm just like basically eating whatever I want. But like, you know, if I, if I'm like, all right, like I, I would like to trim off five or 10 pounds, I can easily just like reduce the amount of fat in my diet mm. and 
it, it just comes right off. And it's, it's like, it's a very predictable thing. Like if I'm just eating whatever, cause I, I like to have like potatoes with, uh, with whatever I, I cook them in butter or coconut oil. And like, you know, if I'm having added fats, I'll, I'll cook a steak like in coconut oil with, with the animal fat on it. And that's like, just like what I have normally. But mm-hmm. if I'm like, all right, like I, I want to dial it in. Like I want to see the abs more then I can just eat like a little bit leaner protein. I'll still keep in like egg yolks and stuff like that. A little bit of coconut oil. But then like once I drop the fat, I can eat as much sugar as I want. I can eat as much honey as I want. And I, I, I still end up dropping the weight. So it's like an indirect way of like being able to, to do that. But like if I was just eating intuitively, like I wouldn't be like fat. I would still be healthy, but like I just wouldn't be like shredded or anything. And I think that's the main point. Like if you're trying to get to that level of like you want to be diced, <laughs> like you want to you want to have like popping veins, like you want to have like a shredded six pack. Then yeah, you, you are gonna have, have to count calories because your body doesn't want to be there normally. So you're gonna have to like go that extra mile. But if you're just trying to be at a healthy weight, you know I think everyone would probably prefer to be able to eat intuitively without counting the calories. Mm. And I, I think that's probably the best way to go. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. I definitely see the connections there and. Uh, this I, I want to go and pick up this book. I uh, saw it. Someone said it on Twitter. They're like, finally, someone, someone put all of this knowledge that we have been testing forever into a book, and it's called like "Fuck Portion, Fuck Portion Control" by forget his name, but you can probably search the book. It's like on his website or something. But I want to, I want to read through that to see what he says because, like, th- that's the other thing is like I like being a bit lean. And I know that my body fat set point is higher. So I don't know. Yeah. But I know I have to try it. And that that's the other thing because I, I feel like once you, once you get to a point, like if you are consistently gaining weight, like let's say through like the, the course of two years, right? Because I want to be consistently gaining strength and size. And I know that you have to be in somewhat of – like even a minor caloric surplus is there I don't know how to explain it like if like is that possible or or is it yeah I I don't really know it's really interesting it's my mind (laughs) wanting to like grab on to things yeah so I mean I think I think uh the best approach for that would be you know um Eat as, eat as much carbs as you want, eat as much carbohydrate as you want, you know, sugar, whatever, you know, eat as much protein as you want. Obviously, you're going to need that for the bulk. And then the mm-hmm. fat variable is really like where you can play around with it, I think. So if you're keeping it at like a moderate level of fat, what I do, so like not, not super high fat, you know, I'm not like putting butter on everything and like, you know, like the keto guys are like eating a bunch of bacon and stuff like that. But, you know, yeah. I'll, I'll have a steak with some animal fat. Like I said, like I'll cook the potatoes with uh, with fat and stuff like that. So like if you're just eating like that and then you're like, all right, like I would like to cut off a little fluff, then I think you can cut out that extra fat and you can, you can still eat as much as you want and you're going to be good to go. The other th- important thing is, and this, this is another good talking point if we want to discuss this, but is salt. So salt yeah. is another thing that gets unfairly maligned in my opinion. And um, I think a, a lot of people, because the, the thing is like, They'll always like tell like whatever people that are overweight or obese, they're like, oh, you got to cut your calories and you got to cut your salt. And it's like one of your primary like satiety mechanisms, and you can go try this out, like is the amount of salt. Like if you feel like you just need to keep eating more, like your body needs that amount of salt, like it's going to get it back. And if you don't give it to it, 
it's going to trigger a cascade of stress hormones and it's going to hurt you in the long run. And I know mm. there's like the whole like high blood pressure thing, but th- that's a whole different story. Yeah. But essentially like telling people to restrict their salt is probably like one of the worst things that you could do for someone who's trying to restore their metabolism and lose weight because you know, that's what's going to really drive the cravings. If you're like, dude, put as much salt as you need. You give you give anyone like whatever, six scrambled eggs and you tell them you could eat a bunch of honey after that. If you well salt if you salt the the eggs properly, you let them have as much as they want on it. They're not going to want to eat anything else. Like that's a very satiating, nutrient dense, like good meal to have. Mm-hmm. But if you're like, no, you can't put salt on it. Then after that, they're going to be like, well, shit, like I, I, I want to eat more. Like, cause your body's constantly driving you. It's one of your primary satiety mechanisms is the salt. And I honestly, I think it's ironic because I'm sitting here saying that like, you shouldn't be aiming for satiety per calorie. But then the people that are saying that are the same ones that are telling you to restrict your salt. Mm. and eat more polyunsaturated fats so i don't <laughs> i don't know man uh, it's it may it makes sense and I, I definitely noticed that like recently um like when things are locked down it, it's like i'm not like I, I don't crave things like i'm not searching for something more and i that's that's i think that could be like another downside for counting calories is that you feel like you have to like be on target to hit those by the end of the day. So you're constantly thinking like, okay, I need to eat now. And you're, you're kind of like forcing yourself to eat at times, especially when you're gaining weight and uh, possibly aren't hungry or something like that. But okay. So two things, what, what's, this is, (laughs) this kind of goes in line with uh, like the whole grains, but is just my curiosity. What, what's your thoughts on, um, like, like white bread or bagels, or, um, even if you want to tie in like sprouted bread to that? Yeah. So, um, this is another, this is another thing where I disagree with, uh, a lot of the, the peak guys. So they, they're like all in favor of sugar over starch and, Mm. Well, I probably have more sugar than I do starch. Like, I'm not against starch. I think they both have their own benefits. So I think sugar is more like immediate energy. So we, we talked about one study in the in the Lustig video, the sugar video, mm-hmm. um, where like postprandially, like eating sugar gives you that immediate, that immediate boost in energy metabolism. But the starches, um, I think, have more like longer term effects, so to speak. So like they are a little bit more anabolic um, they do spike your insulin more, which is good for a lot of different processes in the body. Um, provided that you're insulin sensitive, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think each have their own benefit. So in terms of the, in terms of the grains, like I said, if I'm going to eat grains, then I would re- prefer a refined grain over, uh, so to speak whole one. Um, because I think it's, I think it's better in terms of the digestibility of it. And I would rather have like a faster acting carb like if you look that's the thing like when you flip a lot of these things on their heads like things start to make less sense like it starts to it it becomes really funny almost because so like for example the other day i was thinking like so when you restrict your salt you actually get a boost in your serotonin so like Mm. 
when most people hear that, they're probably like, oh my God, like that makes so much sense. Like salt's bad and like serotonin's good. So like, <laughs> but I'm like the total opposite where I'm like, yeah. no, that's really bad. Like you want to eat more salt so you have less serotonin. So anyway, it's like when you flip a lot of these things on their head, uh, the whole picture changes. So when you're like me and you're like, dude, like I would actually prefer like a higher glycemic index food. I don't want the fiber because I don't think that I need as like, I don't need like the quote unquote benefits of fiber. I'd rather have a fast acting carb and like have that more quick anabolic response, quick sugar. Then it becomes very obvious like why I would prefer like a white refined uh, grain over, over a whole one. Now, I don't eat a ton of grains. Um, I think the main problem with those is that they're fortified with a lot of vitamins. And this is like a really interesting topic that mm -hmm. I need to do more research on. But uh, one of the things is that they have uh, unbound iron and a lot of people accumulate excess free iron. So like the, the, the iron that's in like meat and in animal products, it's called heme iron. So that's like a much more uh, highly absorbable form of iron and it has like different roles in the body. Uh, but the free iron that tends to accumulate, that's like more of like a degenerative type of uh, iron. And uh, P.D. Mangan wrote a great paper about this. I don't know if you know P.D. Mangan. Yeah. But um, yeah, he had, he had a great paper published last year. Uh, it was about like excess iron in um, a lot of degenerative diseases and the therapeutic effects of phlebotomy. So giving blood because that allows you mm. to deplete a lot of the free iron. Um, but the, the refined grains, a lot of times, like they think that they're doing a good thing by giving people their iron because a lot of people are anemic, but the last thing that these people need is more free iron. They need more iron for meat and they probably need more copper from things like oysters and scallops and shrimp. And that never mm -hmm. gets talked about the other side of the equation. Um, so I think that that's a, that's a big problem with a lot of commercial foods, but especially grains. Um, but if you can get like a, a good quality grain, that's not, uh, fortified, you know, I, I would I would do like a sourdough bread or a white bread if, if I could get that. I don't know if I'd have it all the time just because I don't really perf like like it that much. But, you know, yeah. I would probably do it more often. Like I would have a sandwich every now and then and I wouldn't think twice about it. But now it's like I, I, I know about all this stuff and I don't think that it adds a ton of benefit on top of my normal diet. And I just don't like it that much. So it's just like something that I would never mm -hmm. incorporate. But yeah. Cool. I like it because the, <laughs> the thing that I catch myself doing it, when I'm scrolling the Ray Pete forum or something else is like, I, I take it as law, right? I, I feel like, oh, I eat, um, which has never been the case in my entire life. Like, it's like I eat something that they may be opposed to and I start limiting myself more. And then when I have something, it's like, oh shit, I just made a like big no-no. <laughs> it's, it's, it's bad, right? So, yeah, I mean, dude, the, 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 the Peters, they don't even eat a ton of like actual meat. They eat mainly eggs and, uh, like milk and cheese for their proteins. So, I mean, they do like some like oxtail and like gelatinous cuts like that, but like, it's not like, a, it's not like a big, um, it's not like a heavy meat diet per se. So that's like, it's another mm. thing that I disagree with them on, but yeah, I would definitely not like <laughs> take anything that people in that forum yeah. say is gospel <laughs> even things that that roddy and and georgie and even even pete himself like you know you always need to be questioning things um mm -hmm. and i think that the the fundamentals of their idea the fact that energy metabolism is at like the root of all diseases i definitely agree with that you know i i agree with the the, the carbohydrates i agree with the saturated fats obviously the, there's a lot of things about what they what they do that i agree with but there's 
you know, a decent amount of stuff that I don't agree with. And that's just things that you have to evaluate. You know, you're never going to fully agree with anyone. Um, you're always going to have like your own individual thoughts on it. So yeah, like even, even what I'm saying now, like I, I hope you don't just like take this as gospel. Like I hope that this is like a, something that we can, you know, bounce off of each other and, and, you know, explore new ideas, but like, it, yeah, yeah, nothing yeah. should ever be taken as gospel like that. For sure. Because that that's the other thing is like, I notice I feel my best and stress free when I have like subtle guidelines. Right. But then when one of those guidelines gets like hit by a, like an absolutist take, then it's like, oh, okay, something needs to be fixed. Right. And then I get all stressed out and I feel like that's aside from the point. And so I'm starting to like form my own philosophy around it and taking all of these uh, good things that I'm learning from you from like the even fucking the carnivore people and uh, yeah. Grim Hood on Twitter. Do you know Grim Hood? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. He's he's I, I really like him. Um, but like but taking I, those. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> oh, I was, I was just <laughs> going to say, say like <laughs> take So the way that I do it is like I, I'm approaching it from that philosophical sense and kind of like a a spiritual way where it's like I kind of just like flow. I feel like the intuitive eating would work really well with that, where mm -hmm. it's just like I, I just have no thoughts. And then like when the the internal signs arise and it's like, OK, time to eat. But yeah, about uh, your turn. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to say, like, I think that's like the best way to go about it, because I mean, that that's how I do it, at least like I, I could probably name you like. 20 or 30 different people that like whatever like i i read their work like i listen to their stuff often so obviously i just mentioned those three guys i'm really into uh, like tucker goodrich he has a lot of good information on seed oils i don't know if you know who that is but yeah he, he talks a lot about seed oils he's got a lot of a lot of really good information but he's like a low carver so i don't agree with that and then you know some of the other carnivore people like i, I like a lot of like what paul saladino does even though i ripped on him before yeah. <laughs> you know i still i still like like what a lot of the stuff that he has to say uh but i don't agree with everything so you know it's I think like any like any like great artist, for example, would take from like take aspects from like a lot of different artists like historically and like create something new out of it. And that's like kind of how I look at science and health, because I look at it as much of an art as it is a science. And that's really why I have like a big problem with these like I don't OK, I don't have a problem with them, but like I <laughs> highly disagree with the whole evidence based paradigm <clears throat> because. Mm. You know, at the end of the day, you're we're not we're never gonna have randomized control trials to show every everything to um, for every question that we that we have. So we need to take these sort of artistic liberties. We need to sort of use our own experiences. You know, use what we see in the literature. We ask, okay, this is in an animal model. This is in a cell culture, but is it applicable? And then we we can have discussions from there. You know, we need to be drawing from all sorts of information and and end up viewing the world as you see it ultimately so like i actually had a comment on the sugar video and someone was like look uh you know i love the video it was like really funny it was like very entertaining but you know it's still like too too much like science and you know i just wish you would just tell us like what to eat mm. and i was like okay thank you <laughs> thank you for the kind <laughs> words um but and you know we'll try to tone down how technical the videos are so that more people can understand them but you know, at the end of the day, I'm not here to tell you what to eat. You know, you need to take life into your own hands. I, I would never want to tell someone to do something. I, I, at most, I would say, you know, I would consider this. 
That's the most yeah. that I'll say to people. I'll never tell people exactly what to do unless it's to stop eating seed oils, but that's besides the point. Um, <laughs> but everything else is really like you need to, you need to, you know, form your own opinions. And I, I just hope to be like another resource uh, like you are. Like I, I hope that we can be resources where people can look at that and say, okay, that's really interesting. Like I'm going to like look into it a little bit more, draw from different people, form your own opinions and whatnot. So I'm not ever going to say to someone like I'm never going to make a video that's like you should eat this period because then I would just have one right. video and I wouldn't have a channel yeah right <laughs> that that's what I I like to think of life I, I don't know the the different aspects of life so health wealth relationships all of those as science projects but also art projects right because it, it, like the balance between the two because science you have to experiment test different variables, all this stuff, but then art at the same time, like in terms of your physique and other things and just like having fun with it. So I agree with that. And I have two more things before I'll let you go because the last podcast went like two hours. So <laughs> I, I won't keep you that long, but we, we I wanted have, to go for more too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm, so I'm I have, glad you have me on again. So yeah. Shoot. Yes. So two more questions. Um, I've, I've heard differing opinions about this and maybe this just falls under the same philosophy of like, see how it works for you. But I believe Pete doesn't like this. And uh, let's say like Grimhood, for example, heavily likes this fermented foods and things Ooh. like kefir or kefir, however the fuck you say it. I don't do, know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what do you think about those? Like, do they have a place? Um, okay. So a couple things about fermented foods. So number one, the Warburg effect that we were talking about before is actually called fermentation. The taking glucose and then converting it into lactic acid, as opposed to converting it all the going all the way down and converting into CO2 and water and ATP. That process of taking glucose to lactate is called fermentation. And that's why bacteria do it because they're very um, not sophisticated animals. They don't produce a ton of energy. <laughs> um, but as opposed to humans, like we have this like very complex way of taking energy out of the food that we have. We're not just resorting, uh, to this sort of like bacterial way of producing energy. Um, so that's, that's one point. Uh, and the reason that I bring that up is because Lactic acid itself is both a sign that things are not going well because you're not fully oxidizing the sugar, but it itself also has deleterious effects in the body, at least. So this is something we talked about in the coffee video. I don't, I don't know if you remembered, but basically like they, they had people, I hope I say this right, but they had like domestic abusers. It was a really interesting study. So they had like domestic abusers and then they gave them lactic acid infusions mm -hmm. and it put them into like crazy rage. They said like, I want to like this, like this is the, one of them literally said, this is how I feel when I hit my girlfriend. Like it was really Jeez. like graphic, like crazy shit. Like that's like why it was such a good study. Cause it's really illustrative of the point because lactic acid is both a sign that your energy metabolism is not working properly and it has its own deleterious effects. Now. Okay. I'm not saying that drinking kefir or sauerkraut is going to make you beat your girlfriend, but <laughs> <laughs> what I'm saying is that I don't think that 
eating foods that are high in lactic acid is necessarily a good idea because I think that lactic acid does has, have its own deleterious effects in the body. That's one thing. Second, the reason that people uh, like fermented foods is because they're probiotics, so, so to speak. Um, and that's interesting to me because I, you know, I might have said this to you before, but I, I feel like we know so little about the gut microbiome. We know so little about what species are quote unquote good. And if it, like, if you ask me, I don't think any species are good or bad. Well, I think some are bad, but I don't think that like you could necessarily say like, okay, these are the species that you need to be healthy. I think it's more that like, okay, we know that there are select few pathogens, Clostridium, Candida, uh, Blastocystis hominis, I believe is another. There, there are certain parasites and like really bad bugs that we know are pathogenic for sure. But I don't know if we know for a fact that any are necessarily good. Um, another thing is that unless you're getting like a pharmaceutical grade probiotic, you, the, the bacteria that are in that food are, if you're healthy at least, are not going to make it to your colon where they are supposed to reside. Because the whole point of having a very acidic stomach, well, at least one of the points, is to eliminate that bacteria. And like evolutionarily, this would have been like a very good advantage because it would have eliminated like a lot of those pathogens. Like if you're eating like a raw meat or something, you know, that would have been a very useful thing to have. So I'm not even sure if the bacteria are having these desired effects that people claim that drinking kefir or having sauerkraut or kimchi or whatever is actually going to have like because i'm not even sure if they make it there to begin with um mm. so that would be on what i know of fermented foods that would be my take okay cool i like it i don't have much to say there because I, <laughs> I, I like I, it's something i can research more but it's like i always thought of it as good because like on twitter there's health people that are nuanced, but you, you can't really tell. Like when you see a tweet or a post or something where they're like, eat more fermented foods. And it's like, okay, I will. And then <laughs> I see like Carnivore Aurelius where he's kind of all over the place right now. I'm just enjoying oh, his blocked, humor. He blocked us. Really? Yeah. Um, a little, maybe a little tangent here, but uh, a couple years ago <laughs> when we first started making videos, he actually reached out to us. So, okay. Back before we started the channel, he like uh, he DM'd me when it was like just like my Twitter account, and it was back when I was like low carbon fasting, and so was he. And he was like, "Oh, like you're doing great stuff. Like, like I want to like uh, like he like was he was like retweeting like some of my pictures and stuff, uh, and whatever. Like we just we just got along really well. He was following me, and I was like a really small account at the time, so it was it was whatever. It was cool. Um, and then when we started the channel, um, he was like, "Yeah, like I really like your guys' videos." And, um, you know, I want you guys to produce like carnivore Aurelius videos. And we were like, oh, okay. Um, word. <laughs> and then yeah. he, and then we were like, okay, but like, uh, like, how do you want to do this? Like, we, you want to just like take your articles basically and then like convert them into videos. Like we'll do the voice, we'll do the, the editing and stuff. And then we could post them on the channel. Cause then that, that would be like a really good relationship mm -hmm. that we could have like whatever, he benefits from having the videos made. We benefit from growing off of him and it would just be like a nice thing. Um, but then he was like, no, like you guys have to like stop making your videos and just like basically do like a carnivore Aurelius channel. And obviously we didn't want to oh. do that. Um, but we were, we were still chill for the time being. And then, um, so we, we actually, uh, we, we gave away or we were, 
sponsoring like his liver chips for a while on some of the videos um, because he mm. gave us free samples and they were good, you know, but I actually don't think that they're like as nutritionally dense as real liver is. That's another topic, but, <laughs> um, and then recently he DM'd, <laughs> DM'd me because I had quoted a tweet uh, of another person who basically posted a picture of a DM with him and Carnival Aurelius, and they said, like, he said, uh, yeah, like, we want you to, like, produce content for Carnival Aurelius, basically admitting that, like, it was, like, a company, not, like, a person. Mm-hmm. And then everyone, was, and then everyone like, was replying him, like, okay, well, this is why he's all over the place, because it's not a he, it's, like, it's an organization, and they had mm-hmm. different people making content for them, which, you know, makes sense. It's, like, a large thing. So I just like quoted it and I said like, I just put like an emoji, I think. And then he DM'd me (laughs) and was like, I can't believe like you're like retweeting uh, these lies about me, like without my, without asking me first. And then he said like, RIP and then he just blocked me. Interesting, man. Fucking Twitter's the wild west. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like it wasn't even anything bad. I was just like. I was actually defending him a lot of the time because a lot of people were like, oh, like he's so crazy, like whatever. And I was like, dude, like it's good to change your mind. Like it's good to be open to new things. Like you guys shouldn't be ripping on him for doing that. Um, but apparently he didn't see any of that and just saw the one thing yeah. and blocked me. So Weird. Carnivore Aurelius, if you're somewhere hearing this, I would love to, su- I would love to, to squash the beef, even if yeah. you're an organization, not a real person. Yeah, I can even talk to him if you want or just mention it, but he, <laughs> I, he was interested. okay. Yeah, I'll talk to him. But uh, the like he posted, he, he started to mention like fermented foods um, being bad, right? He's very good at polarization. Like he, he goes all in on something until proven wrong. Yeah. Um, and was like citing studies. I don't know how this had to do with fermented foods, but like how in South in like South Korea, or something it's like the highest rate of stomach cancer and tied it to that and i don't know it's just good to know that it's like you don't necessarily need it right because it's yeah. it's it's like one person's like you absolutely fucking need fermented foods eat them with everything and then it's like no you don't it causes stomach cancer and it's like okay <laughs> Yeah, Middle well, it's also it like it's, it's the whole like opinion. Like, what's your opinion on the microbiome? And and if your opinion is very simple, like me, where it's like, look, I don't think we can define what bugs are good, but we definitely do know a couple bugs that are bad. Mm. Then you're probably like, okay, then I probably just shouldn't just be eating bacteria because they may or may not be good. I think if anything, like some of these studies that show that like probiotics might have in fact. First of all, in a lot of cases, it's placebo, but in other cases where it actually does have benefit versus placebo, it could be because the bacteria are out competing like other bad bugs that mm-hmm. so that the, the bad ones are having like less of an effect on your overall health. And like the good ones are kind of just there instead, but it doesn't mean that that bacteria is inherently good. It's just not as bad as the other one. Yeah. Um, but the, the thing about the stomach cancer that, that ties back to the Warburg effect. So the Warburg effect was I think he won the Nobel Prize for it, but it was basically that was what described the basically the cause of cancer, like this fermentation process. And it's now been shown that lactic acid itself can act as a trigger 
um, for uh, the formation of new blood vessels, I believe, which is like a, a signal basically for cancer. So um, to because in order to provide enough energy, if you're burning the glucose very inefficiently, you kind of need to provide more glucose, which is why everyone thinks that cancer is like very sugar hungry. But that's also why it's producing more veins so you can get more nutrients to the cancer because it's like wasting a lot of it. Um, so it was found that like lactic high amounts of lactic acid could do that. Again, I don't know if I think it might be a stretch to say that like because uh, whatever South Korea has a lot of stomach cancer that it's definitely because they eat sauerkraut or whatever. That's probably right. a stretch, but at least there's mechanistic plausibility and at the very least you don't need to do it and at the worst it could be causing some kind of harm but i i don't think that we know one either here nor there i think that anyone claiming otherwise is you know i, I don't i, don't, I yeah. think that would be like a little bit misguided i think it's you know could go either way yeah no it makes sense um and okay so i lied i have Two more questions from here. No, yeah, fuck. Let's I have go. three. Uh, yeah, okay. Let's go. Let's go. I'm so I'm good. So I, I'm, not, heard... I'm not Mexican cook, but I, I, I could. I guess uh, I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the um, seafood. It. I've I've heard eat a lot of seafood. Don't eat a lot of seafood mainly because of pufa, right? So, like pufa and fatty fish. I don't even know if it's pufa, but like. Yeah, uh, is okay yeah so is there a problem there because when you like you mentioned in that tweet um we already talked about this but like calorie restriction works because it's poofer restriction that was just a thought of yours um does that include something like fish um okay so this gets into the whole like omega-6 versus omega-3 thing Mm-hmm. So the PUFAs that are in vegetable oil are omega-6 fatty acids. Um, it's just a difference in their structure, but it gives them totally different biological effects. Um, so, And then omega-3s are the stuff that's in fish and fish oil. And I don't know if you've seen, but we have a video about like why you shouldn't take fish oil. And that's because a lot of the things that are... I, I think I said somewhere in the video, I was like, look... If in the late 1800s, Procter & Gamble, who is the, the company that invented Crisco, they basically started the whole vegetable oil oh, thing. <laughs> if, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure you're familiar with them. But yeah. um, so it's basically, I said like, if they discovered that they could cheaply make fish oil and use it as cooking oil instead of seed oil, we would all sit, we would be sitting here saying like, okay, like everyone needs to stop eating fish oil, stop eating fish oil, stop eating fish oil, because... The whole point is that it's the overconsumption of these. Like, evolutionarily, like I was saying, like we probably would have been getting like very small amounts. Like historically, we would have been getting very small amounts of these, and that's the only thing that I'm saying here. So when people fire back at me with like, "Oh, well, look at these studies like that show that fish consumption is like good or whatever," and again, you have to look at the underlying context. So if you take people that are already eating <laughs> a lot of seed oils and you give them something that's a little bit less bad, so omega threes. I would not be surprised because, especially because they interact biologically. So omega-3s can displace the omega-6s from vegetable oil that cause a lot of these deleterious effects. And yeah, it would not surprise me that if you put something in that is less bad than what the people are already getting, that they would have better outcomes. But that does not mean that, okay, if you take someone who is eating, you know, the type of diet that we're describing, higher carbs, high protein, the fact that they're getting is mostly saturated, monounsaturated fat, 
and then you have like this small amount of PUFA that you're getting, is adding like a bunch of omega-3 on top of that, is that beneficial? I, I would argue against that. I would say if anything that that's definitely harmful because you have all the same problems with the omega-3s that you do with the omega-6s and they're actually worse in terms of like their stability. So the omega-6 is one of the big problems and we discussed this a little bit last time is that they can go through a process called lipid peroxidation. So basically it creates toxins in your body that only those types of fats can do. But the omega-3s are even more unstable. They're even more susceptible to that reaction. So if you're eating a bunch of fish oil and, and omega-3s for that reason, you're gonna have the same problems. Now, in reality, no one's eating that much fish and fish oil. So if you're gonna tell me, look, the average American that's not gonna stop eating seed oils or whatever, should they add some more fish in their diet? Absolutely, because I think it's less bad. But, you know, if, if it's someone like me or like you that is already eating a evolutionarily consistent, like historically consistent level of polyunsaturated fats, I don't think that adding fish on top of that has any benefit. In fact, I think it could have some harm because of these excess omega-3s. I think ideally you would keep your polyunsaturated fats as low as possible <clears throat> while still satisfying your nutritional requirement for them if that requirement even exists, which is a topic of mm -hmm. debate. But if, there, if the requirement does exist, it's a very, very, very small amount. So I think anything past that, I don't really see any benefit unless you're displacing the omega-6 for the omega-3. Okay. So so things like, like, I'll just throw out some examples because a lot of people promote these. So like oysters and sardines. Like, <laughs> is there an issue there with overconsumption. So, okay. So the, the, the other problem with fish is that they can be contaminated with heavy metals, um, mm. which by the way is actually a problem potentially with high fructose corn syrup, which is why it's different from cane sugar. That's a side tangent. Uh, right. Maybe we can talk about that if you want. Um, I was reading about but, that a bit yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So again, you can't necessarily conflate the two people always do anyway. Um, so yeah, the other problem with fish is that the larger fish tend to bioaccumulate the heavy metals. But realistically, I think if you're eating, you know, this, like very small, like shellfish and things like sardines, I don't think mm -hmm. that that's really a problem. The, the heavy metal accumulation. I mean, I probably eat some kind of shellfish every night because they're small, so they have low heavy metals and they're low fat. So they have low polyunsaturated fats mm -hmm. and you know, I think they're, those are some of the most, the best foods you could eat. Shrimp, scallops, oysters, mussels. They get, they get the A&O stamp of approval. Love them, <laughs> love them all, love them all. Eat them high protein, low fat, you know, just nutrient dense, perfect, amazing foods, you know, and you don't, you don't have those problems with it. I think if you were to eat, you know, super fatty fish all the time, which is not like really a realistic scenario, and then if you were doing that, then you're less optimal than if you were to have mono and saturated fat in the place of that omega-6. And I think you're running the risk of having too much heavy metals. So like a lot of people say like, oh, like heavy metals, like that's not like actually a problem. Like it's just something that like people on Twitter say, but it's, no, it's not. <laughs> it's not like I, I know for a fact that there are definitely several people out there who have eaten too much tuna and then have gotten their blood work done and been like, holy shit, I'm like. I'm like double the reference range on cadmium. Like that is not good. <laughs> like, 
yeah. and they start having like these type of problems or mercury or, or whatever the case may be. So it's, it's not anything to like laugh at. Like I know a lot of people, especially bodybuilding body building community, tuna is big. I know that. So, mm-hmm. you know, and tuna is like a, a massive predator fish. So it, it really is high in those things. But again, if you're eating like the smaller fish, I don't think you have to worry about that. Okay, cool. Makes sense. So, uh, second to last was vegetables in general, right? People like talking about what are, what are (laughs) anti-nutrients? So anti-nutrients are basically plant defense chemicals. So briefly, um, like animals and things that can move defend themselves physically. Obviously you have things like poison dart frogs. That's like kind of like an exception, I guess that they use like venom or poison or things like that. But typically they defend themselves physically. Like a lion's going to defend itself by, you know, fucking eating you and killing you. Uh, but a plant is going to defend itself, uh, more strategically through chemical warfare. I'll never forget. I, it was like a, I was like a sophomore in college. I was talking to my organic chemistry teacher at the time. And <laughs> he literally just, he goes, it's just such like a funny line. He's just like, Plants have been engaged in chemical warfare for a billion years. <laughs> and it's it's true. Like they literally have. Like they they um they use these as defense chemicals for, you know, bacteria and bugs and, and small things like that. And it can kill a lot of those things. And for, you know, big mammals like us and like things that would normally eat them, they don't obviously kill us unless you eat like whatever, two kilos of spinach or, or a bunch of like red kidney beans that haven't been cooked that those can kill you for sure um but you know realistically they're not going to kill you but they can have some deleterious effects and for me it's just like look i'm not i'm not going to say that like it's causing a bunch of disease i don't think that they're as big of a problem as the carnivore community would lead you to believe but i do think that if you can eat foods without them, why would you eat something that, in my opinion, tastes like shit, vegetables, and <laughs> has these anti-nutrients and has this fiber that I don't want and doesn't really provide me with anything that I couldn't get otherwise? Even things like polyphenols and some of these plant chemicals that people want to say are good and may or may not be in actual food quantities. You know, I'm, I drink coffee that has a lot of polyphenols and other stuff. I have fruit and fruit juices though like and the fruit is the part of the animal that like wants to be eaten which is why it's like full of sugar because it's supposed to attract the animals to eat it and then it's supposed to spread its seed that way it's not you're not like we are not like supposed to eat the stems the leaves the roots the seeds the nuts things like that but like we're technically like the the plant wants us to eat the fruit so it has all the good stuff but without any of the crap that you would <laughs> that you would think otherwise of it so yeah I, I think it's i think it's interesting so i think you can get the benefits of i mean if you think fiber is a benefit then that's different but if you even if you want to say you know uh is polyphenols or uh whatever other uh chemicals in in vegetables that you think are are really magical that aren't actually magical but even if you want to believe that that's a thing you can get most of them in fruit and in coffee and things like that that have a lower anti-nutrient content and have way more benefit than just mm-hmm. eating broccoli or something. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. I've been 
vegetable free TM for like a month or so now. I, I wouldn't have that much to begin with because like I was, I finally like got brought into the camp, the the raw liver camp, and oh, just yeah. like beef and and like high quality or nutrient dense foods all around, and filling my diet with most of those. So yeah, I haven't noticed anything bad without them. I don't really care. <laughs> it's, it's kind Dude, of a I, blessing. I don't know if like <laughs> anyone actually does like, but for people that like start eating like it's again this whole like okay if you go from eating a bunch of processed crap. And then you start eating more vegetables and you feel better because you're not like you're displacing it. And like, okay, OK, like I'm, I'm not no one's denying that that's that that's good. But, you know, if you're already eating meat and eggs and liver and oysters and drinking milk and eating honey and all these all these like foods that we would consider to be really good. You know, what more are vegetables adding on top of that? Right. If anything, I think, you know, if you can't if you need a calcium source because you are cutting out dairy for some reason, then I think vegetables could step in and, and be a source there. But you know, I would encourage people to eat dairy instead because that's a ton of more nutrients. It tastes better and it's a much more bio bioavailable source of calcium rather mm -hmm. than, you know, cooking like a pound of spinach. <laughs> yeah. And aren't there like guidelines to it as well? Like you should be, I know that Grimhood he, like soaks all of his in magnesium chloride or something and then um, he soaks everything in magnesium chloride yeah <laughs> he soaks himself <laughs> in magnesium chloride i think he takes baths in this stuff or something <laughs> yeah but like I, I know other people like chris cresser and some they recommend just cooking it or they recommend cooking it in oil or like cream is that yeah do anything? absolutely and a lot of the um, a lot of the indigenous tribes, hunter gatherer tribes, are very aware of that. And you know they're not going to eat like these plant foods without like cooking the crap out of them because they're aware that like if you just eat them raw, bad mm. shit's going to happen. But unfortunately, <laughs> like raw vegetables has become like a pretty like mainstream thing. Like people are eating a lot of salad and like whatever. Yeah. Raw veganism is even a thing. God forbid. But like <laughs> you know. Oh yeah. You know, like traditionally people understood that like if you're going to eat vegetables, you know, you have to cook them properly in order to lower that anti-nutrient content of these other things. Mm -hmm. And historically, that's like what we've done. It's pretty much like a recent phenomenon eating raw vegetables. It's not like, you know, it's it's not like what humans <laughs> have done historically. It's typically cooked and sprouted and boiled and things, things like that. Yeah. Cool. Makes sense. So... Fuck. An another question popped into head. Uh, I, I, I lost that train of thought. But the, the other one, so on uh, ju just like, I guess, to end it off with tobacco causing <laughs> lung cancer, because it, for for people that have like been on, I guess, the esoteric health side of Twitter, they would be seeing this. Maybe not too many people following me because I'm more like most of my content, self-improvement, some business some health just like talking about what i do but uh i've seen <laughs> i'll give like a brief overview so i saw like one study or you you see all these like people that value their health on this side of twitter uh smoking cigs and everything like that and it's like okay that's kind of contradictory what do they know that i don't know and then there's someone like Solbra who's like uh, you need to rip the filter off your American spirits because the the 
plastic is actually what's burning and causing the cancer. It's like, it kind of makes sense. It's still like ingrained in my head that tobacco (laughs) is absolutely terrible for you. And then you see the people saying to roll your own tobacco, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm, I'm a fan. Like I use nicotine. I, when I used to drink, it's like, yeah, why would I not enjoy the occasional cigarette or (laughs) yeah. Yeah. And, um, what else? Cigars, like cigars in general or, uh, things like that. So, oh, and then I saw a study that popped up on my timeline. I forget who it was from and I don't want to misassign it, but, uh, they said that like, maybe you shared this, but it, it was like you, people can smoke all they want until they're 35. (laughs) And there was like some number where it's like, like you could smoke all you want until 35 and then the negative effects start happening. And it, I'm definitely butchering that and, uh, possibly overstating that. So of course, like look up that study and take it with a grain of salt, but it was really interesting. My friend and I were joking about it. Uh, like just all week we're like, Oh, yep. You can enjoy that until you're 35. And, yeah. yeah, I so, think I think a lot of the tobacco and nicotine stuff is uh, is really interesting. Um, and I'm not endorsing like do not yeah <laughs> go smoke cigarettes because of me, please. Um, but uh, you know, I think it's just if anything, I think it really represents the fact that you need to question absolutely everything because I can't <laughs> think of anything like sugar. Sugar is one thing. But if you tell people that tobacco smoke, like it's on a different level, like nothing is more ingrained into the minds of Western uh, civilians, I guess, citizens than that, um, than that tobacco smoke is bad. So you would expect there coincidingly to be a plethora of studies that absolutely 100% show that this is true. Correct. Mm -hmm. We would expect that, right? Um, but then the thing is, if you go and actually read the official cancer, uh, and I'm, I'm just going to talk about cancer now because I, I honestly don't know a ton about about tobacco and, and heart disease and, and other things like that. Maybe um, some other possible problems associated with it. But I, I do know about the research on cancer, especially lung cancer. And uh, so if you go to the IARC, the International Agency for Research on Cancer, Every carcinogen, they, you know, they, they produce this massive document explaining their rationale behind why they believe that this substance is a carcinogen. And they've done that with everything, you know, arsenic, uh, cadmium, uh, red and processed meat, which obviously <laughs> I have my own thoughts about. But, um, they, yeah, they, so they produce, they produce these, these big documents on, on what causes cancer and on, on all the scientific references that back that point. And uh, so typically in toxicology, the field of toxicology is to, you know, assess what is toxic, obviously. And the way that you do that is you don't give it to humans, you give it to rodents. And that's mm-hmm. the pretty standard approach. Obviously, you're not going to, you suspect something epidemiologically, so you look at populations of people, you see like what they're eating, and then you say, okay, this might be causing cancer, and then you give it to rodents to see if it does. So they saw that, um, they saw that the, the increase in smoking commercial cigarettes in the United States uh, went up, and they saw that the increase of lung cancer went right along with it, 
and said, okay, let's give tobacco smoke to rodents and see if it gives them cancer. It should be a done deal. But that didn't happen. They gave the tobacco smoke to the rodents and uh, in some studies they were actually protected from lung cancer. Um, so then it's like, uh, okay, so where do we go from here? What is, <laughs> what is going on here? Um, so I think uh, a lot of the problems with most cigarettes are they have a lot of additives and most importantly, they're sprayed with like radioactive fertilizer. So if you're getting an organic tobacco and you're smoking it, because I think that there's some problems associated with the papers, you know, heating plastic with the filters, that's probably not good either. But if you're going to smoke tobacco and you give it fresh organic and you smoke it out of a pipe or you smoke it out of some, maybe like a hemp paper that's like pretty benign, I don't see that causing cancer whatsoever. In fact, there are multiple hunter-gatherer tribes who are known to smoke tobacco and suffer no heart disease, no cancer. Mm. Uh, I don't think that, maybe the Hadza do. I think uh, there's another tribe. I think in Papua New Guinea, maybe it's the Tukasenta. And I know that the Inuit all traditionally, or the Katav- the Katavans perhaps, some of these hunter-gatherer populations, smoke tobacco, but they don't get tobacco that's sprayed with radioactive fertilizer. They get it uh, fresh and then they roll it themselves and they smoke some cigarettes. And again, they're not smoking 20 plus cigarettes a day. So maybe even at that concentration, it could be a problem. But I will tell you that in the rodent studies, they expose, it's actually way worse than what even a heavy smoker would endure. They give the, they, they, so you can't make a mouse smoke a cigarette, right? <laughs> you yeah. need to, the way that they study it is that they basically just pump the, the tobacco smoke into the cage and they just make them breathe that in all day. So that would basically be like living in a hot box. And even mm-hmm. that with pure tobacco smoke at concentrations of effectively 100 plus cigarettes per day, the rodents still did not get lung cancer and some of them were protected from it. So I just think it's the, the best example of, you know, it might be bad, it might not be, but we need to really be rigorous about this and keep asking questions because clearly the tobacco itself is not causing the cancer, whether it's the paper, the filter, the fertilizer, or any of these other toxic additives that are added to it. Those are the questions that we need to be asking. And those companies need to be held responsible because what if companies started producing organic, fresh cigarettes with benign papers and without plastic on them? Mm -hmm. How many lives would we save? That's the real important question. Everyone's like, oh, so like now you're going to start promoting cigarettes. No, that's not what it's about. <laughs> it's about attacking the real enemy. If we can identify what is really causing lung cancer, then we need to do mm-hmm. so. We need to hold the people that are poisoning millions of people. We need to hold them accountable and we can save lives. But yeah. what I can tell you is that this <laughs> so many resources, so much time, so much money has been spent on these toxicology studies trying their best to give rodents lung cancer by giving them tobacco smoke. You can't do it. It doesn't happen. And that's literally if you were to live if you were to smoke a hundred cigarettes worth of tobacco in effectively like your room, if you have a small room, not ever open the windows and breathe that in every single day of your life, that's the equivalent of what these rodents are getting. And they don't Jesus. get lung cancer. So something else is doing it. And mm. a lot of the, and that's the thing. If you look at the IR 
the IARC reports on these, the cancer associations that are doing it, they do have those toxicology studies for other chemicals that are in the tobacco or in the, in the cigarettes, but they don't have that for the tobacco smoke itself. So they build this case, but they don't ever actually answer the question, if you give rodents tobacco smoke, do they get cancer? And the answer is no. Damn. Lots of questions, man. Well, not for you, but just in general. <laughs> Lots of questions to ask the fucking world. Man, but, we wanted to we want to make a video about that, but the amount of heat we just got on the sugar one, I don't want I don't, I don't even want to know what would happen if we if we made that video right now. So maybe maybe in a year or something we could do it, but yeah. It's that's a fascinating topic for me cuz like I, I couldn't believe my eyes. Like they literally said in the paper giving <laughs> rodents tobacco smoke has failed to give them cancer. They say it outright. This is a government document on the most highly publicized carcinogen in the world mm -hmm. and it's not being talked about yeah it's it's insane man like that's what i do quite a bit is like when someone tells me something is bad like nicotine for example it's like i go and research the other side and i couldn't find anything bad about nicotine aside from like it's addictive right yeah, no, nicotine nicotine has medicinal properties nicotine isolated right. nicotine is uncontroversially not a bad thing if anything it could be a good thing yeah it's more about the milieu that it comes in so you know if you're vaping i doubt that the plastics and the heavy metals that are associated <laughs> with that are good yeah. and what else is in that juice it's not pure nicotine so you know there's mm -hmm. but that's where the questions come from you know if you get pure nicotine then yeah you know, i don't think anyone even argues in, in the medical establishment that that is bad so yeah even like andrew Andrew Huberman promoted it on one of his podcasts, but yeah, I just use Zins. Oh, is that the, the, the gum? No, it's like a, a salt nicotine, um, pouch. It's like, uh, you know what snooze is where snooze is like pouch chewing tobacco, but you just put it in your lip. Yeah. It's the same thing, yeah, but yeah. it's, uh, it's just like paper and salt nicotine. So gotcha. Yeah, I, dude, I used to play hockey. So, so dip or oh, yeah. chewing tobacco was a, was a huge <laughs> thing. I, I, I never yeah. did it actually. I just, it grossed me out, but like that or like a gum sounds like something I, you know, wouldn't mind giving a shot. Yeah. Yeah. Cool stuff. Well, thank you, man. I'm sure I'll fucking probably stack up even more questions for another podcast, but oh, these are super, like, these are super helpful because one, it's like I have nowhere to look for this because I'm that that's the thing. It's like I'm doing my own research on things unhealth related. Like I'm spending my time in other places. So it's it's a fucking blessing to be able to have you on and just like take my take my questions and answer them so swiftly and uh not like giving giving the bigger picture and encouraging other people to still do their own research for themselves, question what everyone is saying, and test and experiment. So, my man, thank you for coming on. Everyone, where, where can people find you on YouTube, all socials, so they can follow you and Yeah, well, I, I appreciate the kind words, brother. You know, anytime, anytime you want to do this again, you, we got more questions. Uh, whatever I'm, I'm always done to talk about this stuff you know this this is what i care about in life I, I care about i care about health i care about people's health and i care about you know freedom of speech freedom of thought scientific dis scientific discussion 
you know, those are my, those are at the core of my values. So, you know, anytime I get to come on and talk about things, you know, with someone open-minded, I get to, you know, hopefully do a little teaching, expand their mind a little bit. You know, that's, that's, that, that means more than anything to me. So I appreciate you having me on. Uh, people can find us on primarily on YouTube, uh, channel is called analyze and optimize logo looks like that. Uh, on Twitter, we are at outdoctrination. So like indoctrination, but without instead of in. Uh, we are on Instagram at analyze and optimize, all one word. And we're on the same on TikTok now. Um, and then uh, you can donate to us on Patreon. And we have some, uh, some crypto addresses that you can donate to us too. And if, and if anyone listening to this wants to you know, have, a, have a private Zoom call, we also do that uh, just for you know, a small donation on Patreon. You know, I'm happy to take the time out and talk to anyone about about their health problems as well so beautiful absolutely Appreciate hell fucking it, yeah yeah thank you uh listeners will see you later dalton i'll see you in like five seconds <laughs> all right my friends thank you so much for listening to that episode of the modern mastery podcast with dalton from analyze and optimize you can find all of his links to his youtube twitter everything in the description you can also find a link to join Modern Mastery HQ for $5 to get access to all of our business performance health systems and just be able to ask personalized questions, join the live streams, go through the roadmaps, the courses, everything that is in there. It's all laid out step by step. Impossible to fail. But again, thank you for listening. If you feel the urge to, uh, please leave a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can just go to the actual dashboard, click the rating, click whatever star rating you feel it deserves, and possibly leave a few kind words if you feel compelled to do so. So with that, I will see you in the next episode of the Modern Mastery Podcast.